All right, well, good evening. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I Hi, guys. Hello. I don't get that. I don't get that welcome at home, that's for sure. All right. Hey, if you have your Bibles, um, hmm. we're going to do something a little old school tonight. Uh, I don't know what your church tradition is, and we don't do this every time, but sometimes I'm just like, man, I want to kind of get back to the old, old way of doing things. Some churches do this, some, some churches don't, but some churches, uh, at the reading of God's word, they stand, and it's just a sign of respect. It's not like, it's, it's not like if you don't, it's not bad, it's, but I think sometimes we just got to pause. And remember that like when, we, when we open this book, when we crack this open, like this was, this is God's word. Like so, we're gonna we're gonna do that if you don't mind. Just for a few verses, we're in Isaiah, I'm gonna read from Isaiah 53, two to six. So if you don't mind, would you stand in respect for in respect for God's word? And then when I'm finished when I finish reading, I'll, I'll pray us in, and then we'll we'll get into the the topic for tonight. <clears throat> Isaiah 53, starting verse two. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's pray. Father, it's humbling to read this passage that you laid on Jesus the sin of us all. This whole passage is about your son. Jesus, this is about you and what you did on our behalf and not just for us, but because of us. And so God, I thank you. We can never thank you enough for your gift. We can never thank you enough for saving us. We can never thank you enough for abiding with us and allowing us to abide with you, to remain. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict of sin. Father, I pray that you would draw people to Jesus. And God, I pray that salvation would come tonight. Here in Pondy, God, that angels would celebrate so, God, we entrust this to you. It's not us. It's not me. It's, it's always your spirit. It's you working. And so, God, I pray you would work in such a way that we've never seen before that leaves all of us changed forever. And, God, in what you do, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor, for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> So he said with his disciples, but there's something different about Jesus this night. And they can see it. And all of a sudden he stands up and he takes off his outer robe and he puts on a, he just kind of puts an apron, a little towel on. And he goes to the feet, he gets a basin of water and goes to the feet of all of his disciples. Friends, in that day, you have to watch, you have to like try to picture in your mind, they didn't eat at tables and chairs. It would, it'd be like they'd be laying on their stomach kind of on one arm with their feet behind them. And then they would, they would take the other hand and that's how they would eat. And so Jesus would come behind and he would wash their feet. And why this is so important is because the servant of servants job was to wash the feet. And here's Here's the Messiah. Here's God in the God in, in the flesh. He's going around and he's washing the feet of his disciples. He even washed the feet of Judas Iscariot. 
Judas was still there. The one who would betray him, he still washed his feet. And he gets to Peter and Peter goes, no, 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 you can't do that. And Jesus says something like, Peter, I know this doesn't make any sense to you right now, but trust me, it'll make sense. And even after saying that, Peter goes, no, you will never do this. See, it's one thing to tell God, no, when you don't get it. But when he says, I know you don't understand this, but this has to happen. And you come back to God and say, no. That's when Jesus goes, then you have no part with me. And then good old Peter goes, okay, not, don't just wash my feet, my whole body. Like, just give me a bath. <laughs> and so he's like, no, nah, don't, we don't need that. Just trust me. And then he says, hey, what you've seen me do, go and do likewise. Followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be known for how we serve, not for how we want to be served. And then Jesus actually, he tells them all. He says, all of you are going to desert me. Tonight, you're all going to take off. And good old Peter, here he comes again. He goes, no, no, no. I'm not going anywhere. I would, I would go to prison. for No, no, I would die with you. I'll die with you. And then all the other disciples, they, of course, we're going to be with you. And Jesus, I think he looks tenderly and compassionately at Peter, but I think he says it sternly, he says, Peter, I mean, they're all going to bolt. You're actually going to deny even knowing me verbally three times before the, before the rooster crows, before morning. Like, I know that in your heart you feel like you're going to do this, but you're not. You'll deny even knowing me. He's like, nope, it won't, it won't happen. Judas has now already gone to go tell the religious leaders where Jesus will be because he knew where Jesus would be because the crowd wasn't around him. And the religious leaders didn't want to arrest him when the crowd was around him because the, the crowd loved him. And they were too afraid. So Judas has already taken off. He's agreed for 30 pieces of silver to hand Jesus over so they can set up this mock trial and they can try to get rid of him. And so while he's gone, he takes his disciples out, Mount of Olives, and he, he's standing there and he takes three with him, Peter, James, and John. He says, come with me. And he says, I need you to pray. And then he, the Bible says he goes about a stone's throw away from everyone and collapses to the ground, terrified. And as he collapses to the ground, he begins to pray. And one of the prayers he prays is he says, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. Well, what's that mean? See, the cup in the Old Testament is this representation of the wrath of God. And so what Jesus is saying in that moment, he's looking at the Father and he's saying, take your wrath from me. In other words, he's saying, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go to the cross. He's terrified. How do I know? Because in the book of Luke, Dr. Luke, did you know that Luke was written by a guy named Luke who was a doctor? He's the only one that records this part. He's the only one that says that Jesus actually sweat drops of blood. He's saying, well, what's that mean? Is that just like poetic license that he's just saying he's really scared? No, do you realize that there's a there's a medical condition called hematidrosis that when you are terrified of something, you have so much anxiety, you're worried that the capillaries in your forehead can burst and you will sweat drops of blood. Jesus is terrified. And yet in that prayer, he says this, but not my will, your will be done. He goes back and finds his disciples and all three of them are sleeping. They're all conked out. Remember the one, like Peter, Hey, I would die for you, but he can't even stay awake. And I used to be pretty judgmental about it. I'm like, Peter, you wuss. Until I realized I can't do it either. Have any of you tried to pray once you get into bed? It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get cozy. And then Jesus and I are going to have a chat. And so you get in there and you get, not during the summer because it sucks, but like when it's cold outside and you got your comforter and you, you get in there and you're like, okay, I'm all set. But you get know that wiggle. They're trying to find the spot. Like, where is it? Boop, there it is. I got it. Yeah. And then you start to pray. Like, if you, this, is, this is the time. Father, I want to thank you. And you're gone. 
for like 16 hours, however long you all sleep, gone. You wake up going, amen. I prayed all night. I did it. I knew it's just like Jesus. I'm just like Jesus. I used to judge him for it, but not anymore. And he looks at me and says, guys, couldn't you even stay awake for an hour? I know you're tired. I know that the body is weak, but I know the spirit's willing. You've got to pray. And he goes away and he begins to pray again. Comes back, they're sleeping. He doesn't wake him up. Goes back again and begins to pray. And a lot of times we think that all they prayed was, take your cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. Guys, John 17 is Jesus praying in the garden. And it's around verse 23 or 24 where Jesus says something like this. He says, Father, this is what I want. Guys, it's one of the only times I see in the scriptures where Jesus actually says, this is what I want. Every other time you see Jesus speaking, he says things like, hey, I only say the things that I hear the Father saying, and I only do the things that the Father's doing. But here in this moment, he's saying, Father, this is what I want. And you know what it was? He said this, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in all my glory. That's what he says. And you know who's included in that? Us. Guys, out of anything that he could ask for, he says, I want them. He just agonizes in prayer and he comes back to his disciples and they're sleeping. And then all of a sudden he hears a commotion and he sees in a small little distance away. He sees men carrying torches and clubs. And so he wakes the three up. He says, guys, get up. My betrayer's at hand. Can you imagine the hearts of the disciples going, what? Here's the thing about Jesus, though, friends. The Bible says that he looked and Jesus walked straight toward him. He didn't, they didn't find him hiding behind a rock. He didn't take off running. They had to catch him. Guys, here's Judas leading the way. Like, why couldn't Judas just say, I know where he'll be. You'll find him around there. I'm going to let you go do it. I'm out. Why is he leading the way? It never says. But he's leading the way. Can you imagine Peter standing going, wait, wait what? He's wiping his eyes going, is that Judas? And as Jesus walked toward them, do you think at any point Judas went, oh no. No, this boy's not, he's not afraid. In fact, he looks determined. And as they get closer, Jesus looks and Judas comes up and kisses him on the cheek because he said, hey, this will be the sign. The one to arrest is the one that I kiss, kiss on the cheek. And, and when he does it, Jesus looks at him and says, it's almost like he says, friend, are you going to betray me with a kiss? It blows my mind that Jesus still called him friend. And so the guards that are there, these are the temple guards, they... Uh, they grab onto Jesus and they begin to time up and things get a little heated and all of a sudden a disciple pulls out a sword and hacks off a dude's ear. I know, right? When people say, oh, the Bible's boring. Well, not that part. You know who it was? Peter, good old Peter. I mean, how, how would it not be Peter? But here's the thing, here's the thing. I'm like, were you, okay. Are you just really bad at a sword? Like, what were you aiming for? Like, he pulls out a sword, unless he's like, Spata! who's next? But I wonder if it's like, hacks off, I think it's Malchus, I think that's his name, hacks off his ear, and then Jesus goes, Peter, put it away. And I wonder if it was more like this, oh, Peter, put it away. That's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. But here's the Bible. Here's what Jesus does. Here's an ear hanging on, or just hanging out on the ground. And Jesus, in the midst of the commotion, goes and picks it up and puts it back on the guy's head and heals him. Just like that. Guys, think about it. Jesus, in this moment, he's still selfless. He just went up and healed him. This is one of the high priest's servants, according to the book of John. 
And so what do they do? They bind them. See, at some point they said, Jesus, like, who are you looking for? It's like, Jesus. He's like, well, I am he. And then they all hit the floor. It happens twice. They just hit the floor right when Jesus answers, I'm he. And I don't know why it doesn't say what happened. But if you know any parts of the Bible, in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses is looking at God and saying, okay, you're sending me to go, but they're going to ask, okay, who is it that sent you? Like, what's your name? Who should I say? And God says, tell him this, this is my name. I am who I am. I am. And so when they say, we're looking for Jesus, and Jesus says, I am he. Do you think that maybe a little bit of glory came out? That they would hit the floor? It doesn't say. I have no clue. All I know is that they bind him and they lead him away. And what happened to all the other disciples? They bolt. They take off. They run. Friends, have any of you ever felt like you're completely alone and nobody gets you? Like you had some friends and now you don't? Can I just remind you there's a Jesus who knows what it feels like? Completely abandoned. All of his closest friends know we're with you to the end. And in the hardest moment that Jesus is going through, up to this moment, they all bolt. And he's alone. And so they take him to the high priest's uh, like his big old house, and they take him to the courtyard, and they have this fake trial, this mock trial, and you kind of saw it all, all week so far. Guys, it was illegal. The fact it was the middle of the night, it's illegal. They, they weren't supposed to do this, but they didn't care. They pull out all these witnesses, and none of, the, none of the stories corroborate, so it's like, you can't really believe this. And so at some point, the high priest just finally says, are you the Messiah? And here comes Jesus. He's like pretty much saying, yep. And from this moment on, you will see me coming with the clouds. And he's, where's that come from? Guys, it's a messianic prophecy talking from the book of Daniel. And the high priest, you know, he tears his robe and he says, okay, we've heard it. There's heresy. This is blasphemy. He deserves to die. They take a vote. They vote for him to die. Before all that though, Jesus is sitting in the courtyard Peter somehow got into the courtyard and he's hiding himself. I think John got him in. A little servant girl comes walking up to Peter. Says, you were with him, I saw you. He goes, no, no, I wasn't. I don't know him. No, no, I saw you. No, no, I don't know him. Another person comes like, I know you were with him. I can, and I, I can even tell by your accent. Like you're one of his disciples. And then he says this, I don't know the man. It's like he calls down curses from heaven. It's almost like he says, may God damn me, I don't know him. And right then the rooster crowed. And the Bible says that Jesus looked straight up into the eyes of Peter. Guys, in this moment, Jesus has already been beat up, smacked around, mocked. And he just looks into the eyes of Peter. And you know what the Bible says? You know what Peter did? He ran away and wept bitterly. If you've ever felt ashamed, other people get it. He's like, I, I was going to do this. Like, I was seriously going to do this for Jesus, and I didn't do it. Like, what does God think of me? Can it remind you? Jesus knows that you'll sin more than you think you will. And he still calls you, and he still loves you, and he calls you to repent and to turn to him, the invitation is always there. So now picture they've got the, the act, well, not the accusation, the confession, quote unquote, from Jesus. Fast forward, they take him to Pilate. Pilate's like, I don't want anything to do with this. Send him to Herod. Who's Herod? He's kind of like this fake king. So you take him to Herod, and Herod's like, do some tricks. Let me see some of these tricks you do. And Jesus is almost staying silent the whole time. And so Herod's like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. Just send him back to Pilate. This isn't my thing. So it sends him back to Pilate. They start to have this conversation. We kind of saw it earlier. Remember, he's talking about truth. He's like, okay, why won't you speak? Like you're hearing the accusations of these religious leaders and you're not saying anything. This doesn't make any sense. And the Bible actually says that Pilate knew. 
He knew that he knew that they were trying to kill Jesus because they were jealous of him. Guys, if you were falsely accused and you could be you could be killed for it, wouldn't you speak up? I mean, false accusations makes me want to defend myself. And here's Jesus just staying silent. Why? Because a few hours later, he said this prayer. Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in all my glory. And when he said, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. And when the father answers nothing, it never says that the father spoke to him. That in that silence, it's like, there's the answer. This is the only way. Why would Jesus not speak up? Because he wanted us. This is why he came. This is the ultimate reason why Jesus came. And so Pilate, he keeps listening, and he says, you know what? He hasn't done anything worthy of death. And so I'll just have him flogged which means whipped. And so they would take Jesus, and flogging is so much different than just a whip. So picture Jesus. This is how they would flog someone. Picture this vertical beam, and they would take his wrists and tie them as high as they could on the top of that beam so that his back is completely exposed, but before they do that, they would strip him naked. So he's shamed in front of everyone. And as he's standing there with his back completely exposed, they would have two Roman guards, one on each side, and each of them would have what's called the cat of nine tails. And what that is, just picture a stick about 18 inches in length, and tied for, at the end of that, of that stick are, are strips of leather. And at the end of those strips of leather are pieces of razor and glass and sharp rock and bone. It becomes a claw. Flogging was 39 times across the back or from the neck down to the calves is really what happened. Why 39? Because too many people died at 40. So they brought it back one to show mercy. So you can you picture Jesus. He's been smacked around. Maybe in one eye is already poofed up and he's, he's stretched out and you get a Roman guard on each side and all of a sudden the first one comes down, whack! And then... They change the angle and they pull as hard as they can to rip open his back, to rip open his calves. It's just, they're just mutilating his body. 39 times. Blood would just be pouring out of his body. After 39 times, they would untie his wrist. Can you imagine him just collapsing to the ground? But the Roman guards aren't done with him yet. Just because they can, they find this purple robe and they get him up on his feet. They put this purple robe on him. They find some thorns and they make a crown. The Bible says that they put it onto his head and then they took a rod to make sure it stayed there and they just smacked it. Guys, they would punch him and beat him. And the Bible in Isaiah 50, 52, the end of 52 into 53 says he was so badly marred. He didn't even resemble a human. He was so badly beaten. And he still said nothing. And then they take him before about 600 Roman guards. And as he's standing there, they all just start to mock him. Oh, hail king of the Jews. Oh, hail king of the Jews. The Bible says they would blindfold him and then take a rod and smack him upside his head and say, oh, prophesy, who hits you? And then they take him back to Pilate. And Pilate's looking, he's going, oh, we, gotta get, we gotta get this guy out of here. In this conversation, as he's asking him, and Jesus isn't saying anything, Pilate at one point says, do you not understand that I have the authority? I have the power and authority to release you. You know what Jesus says? This is my paraphrase. Jesus says something like this, paraphrase. Oh, Pilate, you're JV. Welcome to varsity. Like you're a pawn in this whole thing. This plan has been set in motion before time began. If I wanted to, I could call down and have a legion of angels come and defend me. 
So Pilate comes up with this idea. Let me get Barabbas. I always release one from this time. Guys, Barabbas was an insurrectionist. And he was a murderer. So it's like a softball pitch. It's like a church softball pitch. Like you're supposed to pick Jesus. And so he's got them both up. He's like, who do you want me to release? And all of a sudden, can you hear the religious leaders start to say, Barabbas, Barabbas, and get the whole crowd going into it? Then the whole crowd starts screaming. Can you imagine Barabbas going, what? Can you imagine Pilate's jaw dropping as he's watching and listening to this? And he looks at Jesus, and Jesus is just standing there. And so they release Barabbas, and he says, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And then the, the chant starts. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And then one by one by one, they all join in. Guys, it just blows my mind. This same crowd, less than a week before, when Jesus is riding in on the colt of a donkey into Jerusalem, this victorious march. Why is it victorious? Guys, do you realize, why pick a donkey? Guys, you know what, you know what the king would ride after a victorious uh, battle or war against another country? Not a horse, a donkey. Why do you think we call it the triumphal entry? Isn't it amazing that Jesus can ride in on the colt of a donkey before anything's happening? Why? Because when God sets his will in motion, no one and nothing can stop him. He's going to win every time. Less than a week before, this crowd, as Jesus is riding in on a colt of a donkey, they're saying things like, oh, Hosanna. You guys know what Hosanna means? You always think it means praise the Lord. That's not what it means. Hosanna means save now. Save now. Why were they so excited? Guys, do you realize, I don't have time to do the math, but the prophecy in Daniel, to the day, the reason they're so excited because Jesus is riding in on a colt of a donkey, Daniel prophesied it and nailed it. This was the day. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is it. And less than a week later, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So Pilate signs the edict and he washes his hands in front of the people. And he says, his blood is now on your hands. And they say, not just on us, but on our children as well. Having no clue they were speaking prophetically. And what it actually meant they would take the robe off of Jesus and put his clothes back on. And they would take the crossbeam of the cross and lay it across the shoulders of Jesus. And that crossbeam would, would weigh anywhere between 70 to 120 pounds. So after being up all night, being smacked around and beaten with rods, going through flogging, bleeding, now you have to walk 600 yards carrying about 120 pounds on your back. And Jesus embraced it. They didn't have to force him. He took it and he started to walk. The Roman guards are now around him trying to get through the crowd. Some would break through and come and pull chunks of his beard out and spit on him. And he just kept walking. I don't know that I would have. Guys, the Bible says while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. He kept taking steps. Why would he do it? Why take one more step and one more step? Why? Because, Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am to see me in my glory. One more step. One more step. Until at some point he can't and he collapses. Guys, can you imagine what it feels like to fall to the ground and have 120 pounds land on your back? And he can't get up. He can't move. Roman guard finds a guy. His name's Simon. He's from Cyrene. He said, get over here. Pick it up. He said, I can't do that. Like I said, that's a disgrace. I can't do that. He goes, don't. I didn't ask. Pick it up. You're going to finish. Can you imagine as he pulls it off and maybe he's holding it now. Maybe he's even trying to help Jesus up. And what if Jesus, as he stands up, looks into the face of Simon and he just starts to mumble these words. Father, I want him. I want him to be with me. And Jesus starts to walk. And Simon picks up the, the, the crossbeam and follows. 
They finish the walk. They get to Golgotha. They would take the cross beam and, and, and attach it to the vertical beam. And they would take all of Jesus' clothes off again and lay him down across the cross. Why do it that way? To completely shame him. This is a way for Rome to tell, to tell everyone, do not mess with Rome because if you do, this is what happens. Guys, what's about to happen in crucifixion? It was so brutal that it was illegal for Roman citizens to be crucified ever. So they lay him down a cross. They would take one arm and completely stretch it out as far as they could. They would take a railroad spike. They would drive it between the two bones in his wrist. Then they would take the other and pull it out as far as they could and do the same thing with that. And then they would take one foot, place it over the other and bend up his knees and drive a spike through both. And you know what the Bible says Jesus was doing in this? In this whole moment. And I know when we read it, we think, well, he just said it once because it's written once. Guys, the way that it's worded in the original language means that he kept saying this over and over while they're attaching him to a cross. Here's Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. He keeps, he keeps praying for the forgiveness of those who are crucifying him. Why? Because even those, Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am to see me in my glory. Guys, can you imagine the pain? When that spike goes through, that nerve that you hit, when you hit your funny bone, that nerve actually goes all the way down right to where your wrist is. That would be ruptured. That's the pain that's shooting through his arms. And all of a sudden, they start to hoist the cross up. And as it starts to hoist the cross up, gravity becomes too strong for the God who created it. Gravity would begin to pull down on his body. Because of the angle of his arms, and the weight that's now being drugged down. His shoulders would dislocate. His elbows would dislocate. And he'd be left there to die. Guys, when people were crucified back in this day, they didn't die from bleeding to death. In fact, probably most people weren't flogged before. People died because they couldn't breathe. And so from, from down here, you can, you can inhale, but you have to push up on the spike in your feet and pull up on the ones in your wrist in order to exhale. You have to exhale because the oxygen that you take in becomes poisonous if you don't get it out. So you can't picture Jesus just hanging there taking deep breaths. It's more like, <laughs> and trying to breathe for six hours. Friends, he was crucified 9 a.m. And about noon, everything went dark like midnight, just like the Bible prophesied. It's while Jesus is on the cross, he only says a few things. See, when you think of everything that he's gone through so far, and you go back to the garden when he's sweating drops of blood, can you see why he would be so terrified of what's coming? And yet I still don't think that this is why he actually sweat drops of blood so far. I think it's what comes now. From the cross, he says this. He says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Guys, here's the thing about that prayer. And I know it's in the Psalms and it's prophetic and I get that. And some people, it's weird when I read commentaries and say, he said that so people would think of the Psalms. I just think he said that because it was true. Guys, whenever you see Jesus pray to the Father, tell me if I'm wrong. When I read the Gospels, he always calls him Father, except here. This is the only place where he doesn't call him Father. Here's my conviction. In this moment, Jesus became what's called the propitiation. In other words, Jesus became the new target of the full and complete wrath of God. 
all the sin of every person before that moment who was there in that moment and all of us to follow every sin laid on Jesus, that Jesus took all the sin and then all the wrath that was necessary for every single sin and he took it. Why did it have to be God who came in the flesh to take away our sin in this way? Because there's no one else who could take the full wrath of God. It had to be someone divine. It had to be God. I think that's why he said it. Can you imagine the agony? There's this Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, never having experienced what it's like to be forsaken by the other. And yet there's this break in intimacy and we think of Jesus and the agony he's going through, but can you imagine the agony of the Father? Can you imagine the agony of the Spirit? And what it is that Jesus is enduring? And it wasn't too long after that where he knows, he knows he's about ready to die. He can feel him. He can feel just heart pounding, trying to find, find any ounce of blood left in his body. And from the cross, he just says, it is finished. Guys, that's a banker's term. Literally what Jesus said from the cross was paid in full. Remember when he talked about Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Imagine all the Old Testament sacrifices that God prescribed all of those sacrifices, all that points to Jesus on the cross and what Jesus would go through and accomplish where he would finish it, it's paid in full. And when he whispers that out, then all of a sudden, then he speaks up loud, as loud as he can. And can you imagine as he pulls up, he pulls up on, those, on those spikes in his wrist and pushes up on the one in his feet and the same Jesus who just got done saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. How can he entrust himself to his father who just poured out his wrath? Because God is great and God is good. And Jesus died. Pilate gets word, it's been six hours. Is that he's already dead? Why would he ask that? Guys, there's historical accounts where people would be on the cross hanging there, dying for two weeks. Jesus lasted six hours. And I think it's so telling when you read the Old Testament accounts of at 9 a.m. there would be an offering that would be presented every day. 9 a.m. And do you know what time about, about what time the second one would be, pre would, would be presented? About three. The Old Testament sacrifice at 9 and at three, even those pointed to Jesus and what he would accomplish. God is in the details. Friends, he did all that. And I know why he did it from the, from the prayer. I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am and to see me in all of my glory. He's, he's the one who said, I lay down my life. The good shepherd lays down his life. No one takes it from me. I lay it down and I will take it up again. Guys, if you're one of the disciples, maybe they're watching from a distance. They weren't close. John was close, hanging out with Mary. The Bible does say that. Mama's in the room. Can you imagine watching this? As you're watching, this is someone we just gave our whole lives for. We walked around three years with him. Like, can you imagine him sitting there going, he's gonna get off, right? It's gonna stop. Like, he's not gonna let it go all the way. Even though Jesus had told them before this, hey, this is all that's gonna happen. I'm gonna be spit on, I'm gonna be mocked, I'm gonna be beat up, I'm gonna die. And then on the third day, I'm gonna come back from the dead. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus from John chapter three. They go to Pilate, can we have his body? And they take him down. And they place him in a rich man's tomb, just like the Bible says here in Isaiah 53. 
And then someone goes to the high priest, or the high priest goes to Pilate and says, I need you to seal this because I know the disciples are going to try to come and steal his body. He says, you have guards, seal it. Guys, we always think of Friday and we think of Sunday. You ever wonder what Saturday felt like? Wouldn't Saturday feel hopeless and numb? Like, what do you do now? And if they did that to Jesus, are they going to do it to me? And the disciples are freaking out and they're terrified. They're hiding. For some of you, you're going to go, I can't believe that. I, don't, I, just, I, I can't believe that Jesus actually would die and come back from the dead. And guys, I want to give you... I want to give you props for being honest. And then I want to let you know that you're in good company because here's the thing. None of the disciples believed it either. How do you know? Because on Sunday, none of them were by the tomb holding signs and balloons. They weren't saying, welcome back. They stayed hidden. Guys, I used to preach this. I, I, I preach this message all the time for years. I I just want to make sure when we think about Jesus and the cross, especially if I'm speaking to people who've been part of the church for a long time, we've heard it over and over. Hey, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. It kind of becomes a little bit numb until all of a sudden you're kind of confronted with what it is that he actually endured. And so I remember preaching this years and years ago, kind of when I first started, it's like, wow, there's a whole lot in this. But I stopped there. That's where I stopped. I stopped the story. And then I, I remember calling kids forward, and there was this one kid the whole week. I was like, God, I want him to come to know you. I had good talks with him, and he was kind of close, but kind of rebellious, and he, but he'd ask questions, and I was like, God, get him, get him. And I remember he was sitting, he was like this, he's like right about here in the back. And so I'm looking, and so now this is the time. Have people come forward, hey, bow your heads, close your eyes. If you want to accept Jesus into your heart, which I can't even stand that phrase anyways because it's not biblical, but I would set it, and then I'd say, if you want to accept Jesus in your heart, this is what you do, and then, but you want to, I want you to come forward. I want you to come forward. But every head bowed, every eye shut, so I get to see why, because I'm the man. It's all about me. See how cool it is as people start coming forward? And you know the problem with that for me, though? I actually think I did it. Friends, a person coming to Jesus has nothing to do with the preacher, has everything to do with the Jesus, has everything to do with God, has everything to do with the Father calling them in the Spirit, convicting them, has nothing to do with the preacher. But how cool is all these kids come forward? But that one kid, all of a sudden, he stood up. I'm like, yeah, be cool because I'm the pastor. And so they do their thing. And the next day he comes up, he says, Brian, hey, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, well, first of all, did you see me last night? I said, yes, absolutely, dude. I'm so excited for you. He goes, can I ask you one more question? I said, sure. He goes, hey, what happened next? And I'm like, well, you little brat. How could you not, how could you not know? How, how do you not know? <gasps> I didn't tell him the best part. I left Jesus in a tomb. Why? So he could just wallow in guilt. And you get more people to feel guilty and make a decision. I've never forgotten to finish the story from that day, 20 years, 22 years ago. Guys, Jesus died on a Friday. And on Sunday, Jesus kicked death in the face and came back from the dead. Like, that's what happened. And why is that so important? Guys, if Jesus never came back from the dead, then all is hopeless. If Jesus couldn't beat death, then neither can we. The resurrection is the most pivotal and important moment in all of human history. But how could Jesus say it's finished and not have come back from the dead yet? Because as the Bible says, it was impossible for death to hold him down. Nothing stops God ever. Friends, he did all of that because he's so stinking in love with us. He loves us. Jesus said this in John 14, verse six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say I am a way, a truth, and a life. He says I am, I'm it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And some would say, it's kind of closed. I mean, that's kind of closed-minded. 
Like, why didn't he just make many ways? Guys, I'm just thankful that God in his mercy made a way. Not only did he make a way, he paid for it. He did everything necessary so that we wouldn't have to. Followers of Jesus, here's a phrase you will never have to say to God because it'll never be true of you. God, why did you forsake me? Jesus experienced what it was like to be forsaken by God so that I would never have to. So here's what we're going to do. <clears throat> With every head up, every eye open. You're going to bow our heads, close our eyes. I don't know why. And I, I, it's going to sound like I'm making fun. I just don't understand it anymore. I remember one of the first camps I went to, I took a bunch of middle schoolers to it and it's time for decision night and the guy up front, he's preaching and he finishes, he calls people to come to know Jesus and he goes, hey, Byers, close your eyes. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So I close my eyes, but then, I'm, then he starts, hey, if you want to accept Jesus into your life, and I'll explain that in just a second, why I don't think it's the right way to say it, but, and you go, just, just raise your hand. That's all I have to do, just raise your hand. No, I don't see that in scripture, but that's what he was saying, just raise your hand. And so then he starts to count. So when he starts to count, I'm curious. Like, what if it's one of my kids? And so as he starts to count, he's like, I see that hand. One, two, three, four. I'm like, I start to look. He's like, no peeking. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't send me to hell. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Four, five, six, 12. I'm like, six to 12? You're stupid. That's not how you count. All of a sudden, he's like, 12. 31, 7,006. I'm like, there's 300 kids here. Whole county got saved. That's weird to me now. The Bible says that when one who's lost comes home, all of heaven celebrates, and yet God's kids sit like this. Heaven's having a party, cracking open some guacamole, and we're like this. I don't understand it. I've also had people say, Brian, how come when you, you preach the gospel and then, and then you get people to laugh, it's like, why don't you just keep making, like, you got the emotion, just finish the deal, like, finish it up. Here's why. I prefer to bring you back to center so you're making a real decision to follow Jesus than to just be driven by emotion that's not true. Because I'm not, I'll be honest, who stands up? You don't have to stand up to be saved. You don't have to stand up to be reconciled to God. It's not by works so no one can boast. The Bible does not say, just raise your hand and you can be saved. The Bible actually says this. Anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, the word confess in the original language means to say something in such a way that your life will follow your declaration, that you'll be able to see it. If I say that Jesus is Lord, that word Lord means master. Guys, it's a repenting from sin. It's turning from my sin to go toward Jesus that I could be in right relationship with God. It is not say these words, pray this simple prayer, you're done. No, Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and come follow me. Friends, it's an invitation to discipleship. It's an invitation to follow Jesus. And when I say, Jesus, I want to follow your master. I repent. I'm coming. The first thing that Jesus does is, here's salvation. There's the gift. It is not two separate events. You don't get saved and then decide if you want to follow Jesus. It all goes together. Salvation is the gift. It's free to me because Jesus paid the ultimate price. But discipleship costs me everything for the rest of my life, and Jesus is worth it. That's the difference. So with every head up, every eye open, friends, we've walked through God is truth, his scriptures, truth. We look at the life and teachings of Jesus truth. We look at the truth of what sin is. And sin is what separates us from God. And you have Jesus making this statement, no one comes to the Father except through me. But when you say, okay, like it's, that is serious. This is the most serious decision ever. 
and you need to count the cost before you say yes. Is he worth it? Friends, you know what the world needs to see? I don't know if if I'll get in trouble for this. I think they need to see more disciples and less fake conversions. They need to see what Jesus' followers actually look like. Like it really is, we're going after people to know Jesus, but it's not just say a prayer, live however you want, it's I'm repenting, I'm turning from, and I'm turning toward Jesus. And then he imputes to me righteousness, I stand before God, and, he, and the Father says, you look as holy as Jesus, because I'm his and he's mine. So if you're already a follower of Jesus, this isn't your time yet. And you don't get, to, you don't, quote unquote, get saved for the first time again. One time. You're justified before God when you fully surrender your life to Christ. So if you're here and catch, I want to make sure you get this. You don't have to stand up. But what I'm going to allow you to do, what I'm going to not allow, I don't like I have any power. What I'm going to invite you to do is I'm going to invite those of you who either made, you've made a decision sometime this week to follow Jesus like you didn't before, this is the first time. Whether it happened before now or it's like tonight you wanna to make that decision. Why have people stand so that you can remember on, what's the date? The 16th of June, 2022. That's the night I stood up because that's when I gave my life to Jesus. You know why I think it's so important? Because 30 years ago, in August, at Pondy, third row where the pews angle is when I stood up because that moment I said, Jesus, I give you my life. You're Lord, you're master. And I remember that day. That's why every time I get to walk in there and preach, I just kind of walk in going, this is a special place for me. This is where God called me. He invited me. So does that make sense? You don't have to. My ego is no longer involved in this. I prefer to see the miraculous rather than my ego struck by the end of the evening. But here's the thing. For those of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus, either you've made the decision for Jesus for the first time sometime this week, or tonight you're saying, and you want everyone here, I'm telling them, I'm, I've just surrendered my life to Christ. I've repented from sin. I've turned to Jesus. He's Lord of my life, and I want to follow him. If that's you... With every head up and every eye open, would you stand up? Just stay standing. Stay standing if you stand up. Everyone look around. Stay standing. <clears throat> Stay standing. Don't sit down yet. Stay right there. And I know it's like, oh, and I know some of you sitting there go, gosh, I should have done it. What did I tell you? You don't have to. Just tell somebody tonight. Tell somebody afterwards. Just find a youth pastor, youth leader, and just say, I surrendered to Jesus. Don't feel guilty, because that work doesn't save you. For those who are standing, I just want to ask you a couple questions. You just respond out loud with one word each time. Ready? By your standing, are you, are you saying to us that you're saying that Jesus is now Lord of your life? Yes. And by standing, are you saying, hey, I believe that he died on the cross and came back from the dead? then welcome to the family. You guys can have a seat. Those of you standing, just have a seat real quick. Have a seat. We're almost done. I'm sorry. Hang in there. Others of you, here's the thing. Maybe there's a point you actually did that, but you kind of wandered. You're kind of in that wandering phase. 
And maybe you say, well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm just not practicing. My friends, that's like me saying I'm, I'm married. I'm just not practicing. It doesn't make any sense. Like there's one rule to follow the leader. It's follow the leader. And so this isn't a shame. This is just maybe, it's, maybe we got to wake you up to something. And so maybe you need to come back. And this isn't to get saved again. Or what if, you, what if the first time really wasn't real? I don't know. I don't know your hearts. But say you did. It's like, I really did, but I've just wandered off, and I haven't been following Jesus. I've been getting all this other stuff. And maybe you've got to come back. Or maybe you're just broken. Like, there's just something hard going on in your life. I'm just like, God, would you please fix this? So I don't know. I'm not going to ask you. Please don't come up and tell me. I'm not, I'm not a priest. You don't have to tell me a word. But if that's you, it's like, I, I want to come. I, I want to repent, or I've got to confess brokenness or struggles. If that's you, there's no judgment here, friends. This is, the beauty of the, this is the beauty of the body of Jesus. This is the beauty of the church. But you're saying, I've got to come back, or I'm just broken. <laughs> just quietly, would you stand? I've got to come back, or I just hurt. Anybody? Okay, anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Just stay right there. <clears throat> for those who are standing, or for those that say, I wish I could, I just, I'm terrified of standing. No, it's okay, you're included. Here's what I want you to do. In cabin time tonight with your leader, I, I want you to read the second half of Luke 15, the prodigal son story. And I want you to, I want you to look at the response of the father. Does that make sense? Leaders, you got that? I want you to take them through it. Just watch the response of the father in that parable. <clears throat> because I think that he would just simply say to those who are standing, if you've kind of wandered off, you're coming back, I think these are his only words. Welcome home. For those that are broken, I think he's sitting there going, Trust me. Trust me. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. <clears throat> if everyone could stand up. Everyone stand up. Stand up. Now real quiet. Shh. All week I've, all week I've treated you not as little kids, right? So I'm going to ask you, hey, let's step it up. So here's what's going to happen. For those that say, I don't like Jesus, still don't want Jesus. That's fine. I can't change that if I wanted to. That's a God thing. You may say, I'll never do it. <laughs> never is God's playground. Be careful. <laughs> but here's what I'm going to ask. <clears throat> For those that say, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, that's fine. For those that say, I don't really need to stay back. I feel like, I, I feel like God and I are good. Okay, don't feel like you should. You stay back if you need to deal with some things. All I'm asking for those that walk, that you're going to walk out in just a second, you're going to do it in a discipline of silence, and you're going to show respect. So if you're not a follower of Jesus and this doesn't make any sense to you, all I'm asking is this, common courtesy. That's all I'm asking. For those of you that love Jesus, like, what should you do? Quiet, in just a second, not yet. You'll quietly walk in. As you walk out, you're going to pray. And you're going to pray for those who stay back. Who should stay back? Those of you who surrendered to Jesus, Sometime this week, tonight or before, you should stay back. Just so one of your leaders can just kind of hear your heart. Answer any questions you might have. Pray with you. For those that say, I gotta come back, you probably should stay. Deal with some things. Talk to your leaders about that. For those that are broken, stay back. Deal with it. Friends, for those that say, what are we gonna miss? Nothing. I mean, you're just gonna go outside and hang out. If after you get outside, you're like, I think I wanna go back. Come on in. They're not going to lock you out. Nope, one chance, you're done. Come back in and deal with it. But friends, I'm convinced that this is a holy moment where the Spirit of God wants to do His work in such a beautiful way. Does that make sense to what we're going to do? So if you need to stay back and deal with things, you will. And if you don't, you'll just quietly grab your stuff. Not yet. Wait, wait. After I pray. <laughs> grab your stuff quietly, and you will quietly walk out showing respect to those who want to stay back. Does that make sense? I know you all can do it, so that's why, I'm, that's why I'm treating you like this. Let's pray. Shall we? <clears throat> Father, we join with all the angels in heaven who celebrate.
And we give you thanks that you saw fit to extend grace, to invite those who weren't walking with you. You invited them and they responded and they received. We thank you, God. It's the, it's the greatest miracle we could ever watch. There's no greater miracle than that. And Father, I pray that as they stood, that the decision that they made would be solidified by your spirit, that you'd protect them from the enemy who wants to make them not, like make it fake or make them think it's fake. Father, I pray that your word would, it would find good soil. And Father, I pray that maybe just give them a glimpse of what heaven sounds like and looks like. God, for those who are returning, whether they knew you before or not, God, do your work. Make it clear, the decision that they're making. God, for those who are broken, thank you, God, that you are the God who meets us. You're the God of all comfort, that you comfort the downcast. God, I pray that in this moment, you would do things that just leave everyone amazed. Show up and show off. And God, as you do, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor, for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. amen. So